book of Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Gentiles eat pork chops, that's how you remember that, be in the book of Colossians chapter 2. So we are in a new book, we are in a new series, uh, and we are in the New Testament, so changing up uh, quite a few things based off of where we've been since January. Uh, we tend to take a long time as we walk, walk our way through books and through sermon series, and so we'll start a new one. Uh, this one should take us through the end of August or so, Labor Day time frame. Uh, that's, what we're, that's what I'm shooting for anyway, but the sermon series is entitled Rooted, uh, and it's going to help us think through a, a couple of different questions, but the primary question that it's going to answer is, why do we do what we do? Specifically, as a church here at Providence, why do we do what we do uh, on Sunday mornings and in the different times that we uh, gather? I teased this out a, a bit a few weeks ago. You didn't know that's what I was doing, but I was kind of setting the, the stage, priming us for this this summer. But uh, as we walked through the book of Nehemiah, we talked about uh, the celebration that, that they had as Ezra came forward and he just read the word and the people stood and they prayed and they repented. Um, that was something of a primer to kind of set us up. But this summer, what we're going to do is we're, gonna, we're going to um, consider the various pieces of what we do here, specifically the things you can see on a Sunday morning or whenever we gather. So we're going to talk about things like spiritual gifts and how we serve one another. We're going to talk about prayer. We'll talk about the Lord's Supper. We'll talk about uh, the baptism, we'll talk about preaching. I know we don't do baptism here on Sunday morning because we don't have water here, but it's part of our gatherings uh, that we do, and we'll be doing baptisms at the end of the summer. We'll have a couple of different, I'll just throw this out there now, we'll have a couple of different opportunities uh, for you guys to, to uh, express your commitment to Christ in baptism. If you've not done that at the end of the summer, we'll have one uh, at the end of July and also at the end of August, so just put that kind of bug in your ear and let you kind of think through that. Uh, we'll talk about the Bible, we'll talk about preaching, we'll talk about worship, we'll talk about all of these things and kind of why we do these things at all. Because all of those things, every single one of them, are things that most of us show up here on Sunday mornings and we take for granted. They're just something that we do as a part of church. If you grew up in church especially, this is just part of the nature of what we do. Why do we do it? Because it's what churches do. That would be, the, that would be my guess that most of us would give for the answer of these things. It's just something that we do. And that's true. I mean, that's good enough. Yes, we do these because this is what we do as a church. But why has the church always done these things? Why do we do something as silly as crackers and juice? Like, what do we do that? Why do we dunk people underwater? That's kind of a weird, odd practice. Why do we pray together uh, when we gather here on Sunday mornings versus just kind of privately on our own, doing, doing our own thing? Why do I preach for so long and bore so many of you? Why is that how we do this? Why have we set it up this way? Why here at Providence have we decided that the Bible is, as we say for our core value, our first core value, the absolute authority for life. Why have we decided all of those things? Why have we done that? These are all things that you might see at any given gathering of Providence Church. But much like the root system of a tree, what you see 
is only a small part of what nourishes and feeds the tree. So what you see in the tree, you see the canopy, you see the full thing, you see the leaves, you see the limbs, you see all that makes up a tree. Whenever you see that stuff, um, this is what happens. You don't turn your watch off and it goes off on you when you're preaching. It thought I fell. No kidding. That's what happens whenever I'm up here doing this. So um, what you, all these things that we see on a Sunday morning is similar to what you see in a tree, right? You see them, but there's a massive amount behind them. There's a massive amount that is happening that you don't see. There's a wealth of theology and doctrine that feeds every one of those things that I talked to you about. It's not just a simple matter of dunking someone in the water. It's not just a simple matter of standing up here and singing a song. It's not a simple matter of standing up here and bowing our heads. They're all fed by deep theology that nourishes us and forms us as a people. So we're going to trace back each one of those things. And we're going to see why we do them. We'll look at them in Scripture and we'll see why we do what we do. There's a second part to this idea of being rooted as well. Because obviously what we want to be here at Providence is rooted in Scripture. We want to be rooted in Scripture, but we are also rooted in a faith that, as Jude says, uh, a faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So this faith that was once for all delivered to us, we are rooted in it. Here at Providence, we are a non-denominational church. There are a lot of reasons for that, that we could go through kind of the, the, the lineage and the story of our uh, church, but there's a lot of different reasons for that, and there are a lot of advantages to being a non-denominational church. But we also lose some things in that whenever we exist as kind of our own body, our own autonomous body here. Namely, it can be easy for us to kind of feel like we just exist out here. Like we kind of just are. We're 10 years old. We got a birthday party coming soon. We were 10 years old in April. We didn't celebrate because still had COVID stuff going on, but we got a birthday party coming up at the end of August. That's going to be one of those opportunities, I think, where, where we're going to be able to do some baptisms. We're still working out the details on that. We got a big birthday party where we're going to celebrate that, but we're 10 years old. And if we're not careful, we can think that the only tradition that we have is a 10-year-old tradition. And it's tied to the community center and it's tied to, to here. And what we've learned and what we've studied in 10 years together. But man, what a tragedy that would be if that's how we looked at our faith. Even though we may not be formally or organizationally tied to a denomination, as Christians we are a part of something far bigger than just us gathered here in this room today. We are heirs to a rich tradition of theology, theology, doctrine, spiritual practices that would be completely foolish for us to throw away based on some misguided rejection of tradition just for the sake of rejecting tradition. So we want to let that tradition serve us. We want to be better at that. This morning, we stand here, and each of us that is a follower of Jesus is a part of the local church here at Providence. This is the local expression of the church here as Providence Church. But also, we stand here as a part of the universal church. And in one sense, the, 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 the local church is an important thing. It is a, an expression. There's a lot of reasons that we have local expressions like this. 
primarily for accountability for one another, for leadership and for considering things together. But in another sense, we are part of what we would call the universal church. And when we talk about the universal church, what we, what we say is that in one sense, the church has no borders, no nationality, no geographic or even time limitations. All Christians throughout history belong to the same church. Christians here in Jefferson City, Christians in New York, Christians in London, Christians in Shanghai. We are all part of the universal church. As is the Apostle Paul, John the Baptist, and you. We are all part of the same church. The church is not bound by those artificial limitations. Now, we are Providence Church here in Jefferson City. It informs how and why. Some of the, a lot of the how and the why we do things, but we would be foolish if we were to just reject or dismiss the practice of the universal church globally or throughout history. One of the things, I'll just tell you, one of the things I want to grow in as your pastor is this area specifically, to do a better job of learning and teaching these aspects, the historic aspects of our faith and the historic practices of the Christian faith. I've been a, 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 on a bit of my own uh, journey thinking through some of these things, uh, learning and studying some of these things, and, and, and I hope to be able to, to, to bring some of that to bear on what we do here uh, in our practices as a church. And I think I have been blessed by that, that journey that I've been on in, in studying and learning these things and learning about the creeds, the historic creeds of the church and uh, different practices of the church. And I hope and I think you will be as well. And I look forward to us over the course of the next uh, year or so, honestly, trying to figure out how we can work in some of that so that we can realize it is, it, it is foolish for us to forfeit the rich history that we have been handed in our faith. So we want, I want to do better at that. But I want to kick off this series by reading from the book of Colossians. And this will be sort of the theme verse for our series. So I'm going to read this verse, talk about it just a little bit, and then we'll back up a little bit. So Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. This is Paul writing to the church at uh, Colossae, and he says, Therefore you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Walk in him, rooted in him, built up in him. The book of Colossians is a dense theological book. If you study the book of Colossians, you cannot zoom right by it. I mean, we could read it here in 20 minutes. I could just stand here and read the book for you, and we could read it in 20 minutes. But you could literally spend a lifetime just unpacking the theology in this book. Honestly, you could spend a lifetime reading just one of the short passages I'm going to read this morning, unpacking all the theology that, that Paul kind of crammed into a few words. It is full of theology. This is a verse that we will come back to as we study this and we talk about these different aspects of our faith and what we do here at Providence. And we will come back to this. And uh, the reason that I want to come back to it is because I think this verse will grow for you in importance 
as we go throughout the series, as we add different pieces to the, the tree that we are building, the things that we can see, and we study each one of these things, as we add the canopy to our tree, the root system becomes even more important. I don't know how many of you guys have like a lot of trees in your yard. If you're in like a, maybe a subdivision where they've just kind of thrown some trees together or maybe you are back in the woods somewhere, you're surrounded by trees. I don't know what it looks like for you. We've got a handful um, and I've got one I need to, to show you here. So this is uh, the tree in the front of our house. This is the landscaper's friend and everyone else's worst nightmare. This is the Bradford pear tree that is right smack in the middle of our yard, right in the, the, the front. Now, this tree had a huge canopy as far as uh, uh, Bradford pear goes. You can see how wide it is. We were probably uh, not very diligent at trimming it back like we should have been, which is why you see the giant piece laying right here in the middle of it. Um, certain things that just don't make it to your priority list, and that's the way it goes. Um, so this thing has now shorn off twice. If you can show the, the second picture there. You can, so this is from the front. This is from the back side. So from the back side, the whole back side ripped off about, I don't know, a year and a half ago or so. And then a couple of weeks ago, that front portion came down. And so now we're left with about a quarter of what was there whenever we started and whenever we, we built the house. Um, this, is a, this is the tree that there. The, the problem that we have is I have a very sentimental family. Uh, I have a very sentimental family, and that tree means a lot to my family. So despite my solid objections about how ridiculous that looks, that is going to stay in our yard just like that. So if you ever come over to my house and you're like, oh my gosh, why would they do that? Just know that was against my objections. So if you would like to come over and do some field goal practice, we have a field goal set up for you. Uh, if you're working on that, you can do that there. I, it's kind of a reverse mohawk that it's got going on there. Um, and so it's split right down the middle. And that tree is going to stay there in our front yard. But the canopy for this type of tree, for a Bradford pear, is huge. It's really, really uh, big. And, and now we sit here with parts of it all shorn off and... Um, and, and messed up. But see, the thing is, like what you can see out of that full tree, there is the equivalent to that underground in the root system. With almost all trees, they will tell you that that is the way that the trees are made. Whatever you can see up above, you'll find almost the same amount of surface area down below in the root system of the tree. Now, fortunately, this one is far enough from the house and far enough from the driveway that I think we're okay that it's not going to mess up our driveway. It's not going to mess up our, uh, our house or our septic or anything like that. But the older the tree gets, the wider the roots need to reach because there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of canopy above that needs to be fed, that needs to be nourished, and it needs the roots to be able to take in all of the, the nutrients that are there to feed the branches above. That's sort of how this series is going to work for us. You see, in order to grow the, the trees and the limbs, it needs to be well-nourished from the roots. You see the limbs, but you don't see the roots, and that's kind of what Sunday mornings are for us. What you see here on Sunday morning, Lord's Supper, preaching, prayer, baptism, all of those things don't just happen. They are things that have been developed and practiced by Christians for thousands of years with massive amounts of theology behind them that serve very specific purposes in the life of the church and in the life of individual 
believer. So as we study each of these, my hope is that your vision for the church, what you understand and know about the church, grows as your own root structure grows to support it. And as we learn and study these things. And as you begin to understand the unseen parts of your faith, the parts that you see begin to make even more sense to you as well. So here in Colossians, Paul is establishing the most important part of this root structure. The only thing that we are going to cover this morning, we're going to try to keep it very simple and let this serve as, like I said, a bit of a uh, kind of an entry point into this series. And what Paul is trying to establish is that our foundation, our roots are not found primarily in what we do. So don't misunderstand what we do as a church is not the primary consideration. But instead it is found in Christ and in him alone. Everything else we talk about this summer will flow from this truth. So we don't simply get together in order to do things as a church. We get together and we know and we learn and we study and we worship Christ. And then everything else that we do from that flows from that truth. We are quite literally rooted in Jesus Christ. So let's just zoom out a bit from the con- and, and, and see the context that Paul is talking about here in Colossians. And once we lay out that context, we'll be able to put our minds around what Paul is trying to get at in Colossians 2, 6, and 7. He's writing to the church at Colossae and in order to kind of spur them on, encourage them. There's been a good gospel report. There's been many people coming to know Jesus. The, the church is starting to uh, become quickly established and gain a foothold in that area faster than Paul can get there. And so Paul realizes, man, there's some great things happening here, but whenever the church begins to grow, but Paul can't get there, what that means is that false teachers typically come in and start seeding and start uh, kind of throwing around all these false teachings because Paul isn't there to shut it down. So this is why he writes to the church and to the Colossians. In chapter 1, verse 9, I want to read 9 through 14 here, and you can kind of see what Paul is trying to lay out for them. He says, and so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit. Notice how often he he uses this fruit kind of fruit and nourishment metaphor through this. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul will use this fruit and being rooted imagery all throughout this book. He talks about how the the gospel is bearing fruit and then he goes on to discuss what that fruit is. It is good works, it is knowledge of God, it is strength, it is endurance, it is patience. Then he will go on uh, to, to, to talk you know, past that and he will say, alright, here's who has done these things, here is who this is. So what he's going to do is he's going to say, here's the fruit that you should be producing and we are praying that you will produce these things. But now let me show you the root that you must have if you want to produce the fruit. So, verse 15. 
He is the image of the invisible God. He's talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Okay, there's a lot there. I do not exaggerate when I tell you, you could spend the rest of your life exploring the depths of that passage right there. There is a ton there. Paul's goal in sharing all of that rich theology is simply to, in broad strokes, show us Paul's goal for this new church to root them in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He lays out all kinds of rich theology about who this Jesus is. And as much as I want to, I'm not going to get into all of that. Um, He just is laying out about who Jesus is. The firstborn of all creation. And on and on and on he goes. The head of the body, the church, the beginning. So much that is there. So he lays out who this Jesus in Jesus is, and then he goes on to see that in this person, God was pleased to dwell, to reconcile this broken world, through the, and through the cross to make peace between all things and God through the cross. So he goes through all this. And then Paul goes on to specifically say, and you are one of those all things that has been reconciled. You, Christian, is one of those all things that has been reconciled. That's verse 21. This is the gospel. This is Paul. what Paul roots everything in. It is in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This is the heart of our faith. That we were hostile to God, but instead of destroying us, He made peace through the cross with us. Friends, this morning, if you walked in here thinking that Christianity was about going to church, was about doing things at church, was about the Republican Party, was about hating people, was about uh, just loving everybody and being nice to everybody, you'd be wrong on all accounts. The Christian faith is about being reconciled to God. And God has made a way for that through the cross. Now, there are all kinds of implications for that. And Paul is going to go through that in the book of Colossians. But the implications for that, the fruit of being a Christian, is tied to that root. We walk in this need daily. If you have not considered your own need to atone for the wrong you've done, I'd urge you to consider Paul's words here this morning. We were hostile to God. Paul can put that in the past tense because he is no longer that way because he has been reconciled 
to God. But if you have not been reconciled through the blood of Jesus and committing your life to Him, you cannot put that in the past tense. It's not were, you are hostile to God. And the only way to end that hostility is to lay down your weapons of rebellion and cast yourself on the mercy of the king. And the good news is the king has made way for that mercy to find you. But apart from the king's way, you are still in hostility to God. There are no neutral parties. So Paul will continue from here to... Uh, from from uh, one uh, chapter one verse twenty four all the way through chapter two verse five and he will explain why he became a minister of this gospel why he was chosen to take this message to the people in uh, in Colossae and all throughout uh, the, the the Roman area why he is writing this letter because he wants people to know that he was hostile to God but he no longer is because of the grace of God. Which brings us to chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. He says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul tells this new church, struggling to find their footing, struggling to refute false teaching in their midst. He says, here's what the church looks like. You walk in Christ, you're rooted in Christ, and you're built up and established in Christ. That's Paul's sole goal as he starts out in this letter. <coughs> he, wants to under, he wants them to understand that in order for them to go on and act like a church, much of what the rest of this book is going to be about, they must first understand that Jesus is the one that nourishes them, anchors them, and establishes them. Here at Providence, we want to be about missions. We want to be about good works. We want to be about uh, our Love Jeffco uh, initiative. We want to be about uh, student ministry and, and prov kids and all of those things. We want to be about pushing back the darkness and establishing God's kingdom here on earth, bringing people home for the first time. But all of those things must be built on and nourished by Jesus Christ. We are a Jesus church, and we are on a Jesus mission. There is no other mission for us to be on. I want to end by kind of explaining a little bit of how, what, what it is that we're trying to be as a church and what we're gonna, how we're going to talk about each of these different elements of what we do. I want to introduce you to someone. If you can put that, that next picture up there. All right. Does anybody know who that is? Dale Murphy. All right. Good job. We got somebody. Somebody's paying attention. Has got it. It's Del Murphy. If you are somewhere between the age of like late thirties and early fifties, my guess is at some point, and you grew up in the South, that was probably your favorite player. Uh, he played for the Braves. He won MVP for a couple of years. He should be in the Hall of Fame. He's not, but hopefully he will be. But he should be. That is Del Murphy. And uh, I'm, I'm going to grab something here. Now, now, when I say that's Dell Murphy, that's kind of true, right? Um, it, 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 it's, it, it's kind of true because that's really, that's Dale's picture, right? That's not Dell Murphy himself. That is Dale's picture. Dale's not standing here with us. Murphy's not here with us, but that's his picture. 
And this here, this is a Dale Murphy bobblehead. Now, I got this whenever I went to a Braves game a few years back. Somewhere in all of our office moves, the, the, the bat broke and disappeared, which is sad. But I still got the, 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 the bobblehead. Uh, that's a Dale Murphy uh, bobblehead. So this is Dale Murphy too, sort of. I mean, it's a representation of Dale Murphy, right? It's a representation of who he is. Now, it's not exactly him. But when you look at it, you can identify, oh, that's who that's supposed to be. That's supposed to be Dale Murphy. They're supposed to look, uh, they're supposed to look similar. I mean, Dale's head doesn't, doesn't do that. Um, so so you, know it's not really, you know it's not really him. And, and you know that this doesn't look like Barack Obama or uh, Donald Trump. So you know that it's not a representation of them. It's supposed to be a representation of a very specific person. And so what we have here is that we, we have these things that are images that are, uh, that are representations of the actual person, but they're not the actual person. You say, all right, what are you getting at? Why are you talking about all this stuff? This is how the church is supposed to work, okay? And this is how us as individuals and as believers, how we are supposed to work. We are not Jesus. In no sense are we Jesus. But as the church, we are to represent Jesus. As individuals, we are, to, we are to be like Jesus. The name Christian, in its, in its most simple form, really is like the, the diminutive form of Christ. So it's like little, little Christs. That is who we are called to be. We are called to represent Jesus and his mission in this world. In the way you parent, in the way that you uh, are a spouse, in the way that you work, in the way that you live and move and have your being, we are to do that in a distinctly Christ-like way. The church should be a display of Christ as well. We should also, as the church universal and as the church local, when people see the church in the way the church does things, it should be a representation of who Jesus is. That's the way we should be as individuals, and that's the way the church should be at large. That's how that should work. Now, it takes about 10 seconds on Twitter for you to realize that is not, not really how church has gone. That it's not done well at that. But if you look over the sweep of church history, what you'll see is that there are some people that have done very, very well, or some times where the church has done very well at that, and there are other times where the church has been awful at imaging Christ to the world. But what we want to do this summer as we go throughout this, and this is how I'm going to end this morning. I just Again, I told you this is just going to be a primer. What I want to kind of throw out there to you guys is as we study things like baptism and as we study things like the Lord's Supper and spiritual gifts and uh, preaching in the Bible, all of those things, my goal is not just that you get a sense of who the church is and why we do what we do. That is definitely the primary stated goal. But my, sense is, my, my, my goal also is that you will realize that part of why we do all of these things is because each one of those things gives us a clearer picture of who Jesus is and enables us to show a clearer way who Jesus is to the rest of the world. You say, well, how does that work in baptism and in the Lord's Supper? I'm glad you asked. Come back this summer, because we're going to be talking about that each Sunday as we go throughout this stuff. 
But your call as a Christian, what we can walk out of here this morning and what we can take from, from this this morning, your call as an individual Christian is that you are to, like a little mini Christ, you are to image who Jesus is. And you are to do that in the way that he has called you to do that. You know the old WWJD bands? I've got all kinds of problems with the WWJD stuff. But if we can answer the question, what would it have looked like for Jesus to be able to speak into this situation? How can I mimic that? How can I bring that same type of love, that same type of character, that same type of holiness to the situation and be able to say, this is what Jesus says. And this is how Jesus loves. And this is the mission that Jesus is on. That is what we are called to do as well. So I hope that that's kind of set us up for the uh, for, for each of these different things that we're going to talk about, as we, as we begin to uh, talk about what we see, we'll begin to fill in the root structure as well, and hopefully you'll be a more nourished Christian, and you'll be a, a, a better rooted and anchored Christian to be able to understand why we do what we do and why the church exists as it does. And the primary purpose is to be the image of Christ to an unbelieving world. Much as Israel was to be a a, a light to the nations, we as the church here in the New Testament are to be both a light to the nations and the image of Christ to those who don't know him. And that all comes back to right here in Colossians 2, 6 and 7. They were rooted in him, built in him, the one who is before all things and has reconciled us to him. The gospel, our faith, is what we are rooted in. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning, we confess, I confess, I feel even as I say these words, I confess of how far short I fall in this. How desperately I want to be able to represent Christ to an unbelieving world. How desperately I want to be able to represent Christ to my own family. How I want to be the type of person that whenever someone looks at me, they say, oh, that's what it's supposed to look like. That's what Jesus meant when he said that. I get it now. But how far I fall from that in every moment. So, Father, even in the midst of this, I confess my inadequacy. Lord, you know it well. We as a church, we confess our inadequacy in this. Lord, you know it well. Father, I pray that as we go throughout this series this summer, that it will be a time of learning, of studying, of knowing. It would also be a time of repenting. would be a time of removing the things that do not look like you. That we may better see you and that we may better image you to the world. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.